Uh, we're glad you're here. We're going to start a new series called Kings and Kingdoms today. And I don't know about you, uh, October flew by really fast, and it, it feels like it flew by somewhat like a dream, or maybe it's felt like even a nightmare as you've watched the news and just kind of what's happening. It feels like the beginning of the, an apocalypse movie where the political spectrum is crazy and the, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers win the championship and then the Cubs win. Like this is the beginning of like an apocalypse movie, like hell is freezing over and something crazy is about to happen, right? Uh, that's kind of what it's felt like. And, and, and I see so much um, fear in Christians and, and it shouldn't be so. Um, we, we've got a lot to be hopeful for and confident in, and so I'm going to spend this month um, talking a, about the two things that you're not supposed to talk about at the family dinner table of religion and politics. Uh, we're going to talk about those things, but, but more so what the scripture teaches us on it. Um, you'll never find me as one that's going to get off on uh, and make this platform a political platform. I don't. Uh, I'm not going to get caught up in temporary stuff. I'm going to keep it focused on the eternal stuff. Because uh, all this stuff's going to fade. But what won't fade is the kingdom of, of Jesus Christ. And so we're just going to stay focused on that. And if you want me to address specific topics from the stage, it may come up. But as we teach through the scriptures, it'll come up. Um, I'll, I'll often bring things to the table I feel like we need to talk about. Sometimes that in, in the political or social economic things that we need to talk about. Um, but I, I usually don't do them in very reactionary form, so I'll never usually talk about it when you want me to talk about it. <laughs> um, I, I'm joking about that. Many times I will. I, I'll feel a need that, hey, our people are asking this. We need to respond to this. Um, but more importantly, I just want to dig into God's word and, and teach on the scriptures and what the kingdom that he's establishing. And, and I think more importantly, I, I wanted to talk about the relationship that he, he, he wants with his people, me and you. And uh, I think that's a really, really exciting thing before we get into all the kingdom stuff. Next week, I'm going to talk about what it's like, no matter who wins, um, <laughs> good or bad, whatever it's going to look like this week, uh, I'm going to talk about what it looks like to live and honor God under good kings and bad kings. And so that's going to be a, an important conversation as we go forward. And then we'll end this month by, by looking at the, the kingdom of, of heaven, the kingdom of God that, that he's called us to establish here on earth as it is in heaven. So I, I want you to turn with me to uh, Ephesians 1. Uh, for those of you that have wanted to use your scriptures uh, in the Bible here, but it's been too dark and it may still be too dark for you, but we've tried to bring the lights up a little bit where you can read. Hopefully it's probably, we don't have a whole lot of house lights in here, but it doesn't get much brighter than this. Um, uh, but maybe you can at least take notes and jot down a couple of things. We're going to read in Ephesians chapter 1 here in just a minute. And this is Paul's letter. Paul is a pastor and church planner. And Ephesus, who he writes this, this the church at Ephesus, he, he writes this letter to them uh, to encourage them. And, and before we kind of get caught up in the scripture, let me kind of give you a background. Ephesus is the first and biggest metropolis in Asia. It's now modern day Turkey. And so he's writing, writing to this church um, and, and he, reads, he writes this very passionate thing. It's kind of a pastoral prayer. And so as we go into this election in two days, and you may be carrying some stress or anxiety about what this looks like, and I, I just kind of want to write a jot, I just want to kind of echo Paul's pastoral letter here to his church and my prayer for you as children of the king, uh, and so we're going to pick up at verse 15 and read through verse 23. 
For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better, so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So he gives us these three things within his prayer here, and we're going to walk through them. His prayer is that we would come to know him better, that we would come to know the hope that's given to us better about our inheritance, and we'd also come to know his great power better. Let's continue reading, and then we'll, we'll work through and unpack these. Um, I pray that also the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand uh, in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and, uh, and every title that can be given, given uh, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, us, the fullness of him who, do, who fills everything in every way. It'll continue on, and there's lots of good stuff, but we're going to stop right there. I first want to talk to you just about to know him better. I think out of the season, as we're kind of getting to know the political candidates, and we know way too much about them. Uh, we know everything that's happened in the past 30, 40 years, right? It's, uh, whether we believe all the ads and the polls and the WikiLeaks and the whatever, regardless of that, we know so much about these candidates. We know so much. And I think in this season, we're, we're kind of like dialoguing and, and kind of discerning, and many of you have voted already, and so I'm not here to sway a vote, but here's what I, I do want us to get. As we're kind of looking uh, at all these other people, I think Paul's prayer to the church at Ephesus, and my a prayer for, for us in this season, is that we would come to know him better, that we would come to know him better. This whole idea of kind of political rule is, is very interesting for us to trace back when it comes to the church, and it comes back to God's people. If, if, if I kind of rewind all the way towards the beginning in Genesis, when we see Abraham called out, and then it kind of goes from there, we see Moses, who leads his pe- God's people out of uh, Egyptian slavery that had been in there after generation after generation in slavery. And then we get to an age known as kind of the age of the judges. And some of you are familiar with this. There's a book of judges. It's like the sixth book in the Old Testament. And what it is, is it, it basically goes through historically, politically, who oversaw judges were, were prophets, messengers for God, people who oversaw God's people because they didn't have a king. God came and said, I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. I'm going to watch after you. And so we go through the story of the Exodus, and we see that God is fighting the battles. They're following God's command. They're not, he, he was going to free them. And so he invited them into a relationship. Remember that. He invited them into a relationship. 
and he has been their sovereign ruler. So whether it was a cloud uh, in the day and a cloud by night, or whether it was these incredible plagues and, and miraculous things of walking and parting the Red Sea, God was fighting their battles for them. And we get to 1 Samuel chapter 8, and we see that Samuel, who is the last of the 15 judges, and Samuel was also a prophet, and, and he's about to die, and his two sons um, are, are kind of taking an opportunity to, to, try to try their hand at this rule thing, and this is what it says. But his sons did not follow his ways, because he was about to die. He's kind of passing it over to them. And they turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Does that sound familiar? So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you're old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said this, give us a king to lead us. This displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. They wanted a king like everybody else. <clears throat> they wanted to be like everybody else. They, 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 they wanted security. This whole trust in God to lead us out thing got uncomfortable at times. And I think if we kind of see ourselves in this, in our own situation, where we might see whoever's about to take over who perverts justice and takes bribes, we, we might see our own situation in this and just wonder what God might say to us. And maybe we're in the same place that we're kind of looking to a king to save us. Maybe it's modeled after other nations or maybe, maybe after past rulers, which they'll have Saul will become the next king and then, uh, then there'll be David. And then after David, everybody wants everybody to be like David after that um, because he was so great. And so we keep looking back, keep looking back. And from the very beginning, God wanted a relationship. He wanted not just random relationship, but intimate relationship that would build trust, right? You don't, you don't really have a good relationship unless there's trust. And some of you who, who've known God all your life, and you've been in a relationship, and you said yes to Jesus, and you got baptized when you are eight or, or, or whatever, I'm not, I'm not downplaying any of that, but I'm just saying, you had a relationship with God your whole life, but you don't trust him. You don't trust him. You don't trust him in the little things, and you don't trust him in the big things. How do I know that? Because most likely, your time, your talent, your, your temporal means, because your worry, I mean, I, I could probably just go through all these things that are kind of signs that if you trusted him, those things kind of would be different, be different. And I think sometimes we kind of go through, we, we find ourselves in the same place. I just want a king, because what they really wanted was security. They didn't want to have to trust anymore. And it doesn't take long, usually out of the gate for believers, like we're like, yeah, I'm really excited. I'll trust God. I'll go wherever you send me. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. And then kind of we get a few, few months down the road, a couple years down the road, and then, man, God's good. Everything's good. I got a nice church family. My marriage isn't as bad as it used to be. It still stinks, but it's still a little better than what it used to be. And then, like, we just kind of get a little bit comfortable in things. And, it, and it's no longer trust. Like, I, now I'm not trusting in God for my financial provision. I'm just trusting in my bank account for my financial provision. I mean, and we go through the line, all these things about our security. And let, let me make a I'm not going to go there. It'll get way too political if I go there. Sorry. See, I'm being good. See how good I'm being? 
Um, come on, you've all sat probably in a church service where the pastor got way too political, and you're like, kind of made you sick. Um, I'm trying to stay focused here. Um, the, the beauty of this is that he wants to know us better, and he draws us into this. And so God sends the message back to Samuel and says, look, I'm going to give them what they want. I'm going to give them what they want. They want a king? I'll give them a king. But Samuel, go warn them. They think they're getting one thing, and what they're actually going to get is they're going to get slavery in a whole different format. They're going to do what the king tells them to do. They're going to work where he tells And God's whole picture in this intimate relationship is that we might know freedom, that we might experience freedom, just like it was back in the garden, like where you can do anything you want. You can eat whatever you want except this one thing. Basically, you just got to trust me. I know that looks good. I know, you, I know that security might look good on the outside. I know that apple might look good on the outside, but you, you got to trust me. Even in, even in the garden, there, there is an opportunity for trust, and God's calling us in that. And, and it's not out of control, but it, it, it's out of, to bring us into freedom and intimate relationship that we might know him better. And a lot of us, we've got, we've got more head knowledge than what we know what to do with. And, and what, he, what Paul's prayer is for the church at Ephesus is that God would give them a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. And this is important. Because there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is 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 facts and of knowing about things, and wisdom differentiates a little bit because wisdom is actually how to apply those things in our experiences and our encounters, right? You can have all these, you can read every book about finance that you want, and you can know how to handle money and all these different things, but if you don't have the wisdom to be like, oh, that, that principle actually applies here in this time, that, that's wisdom is being able to take the knowledge and actually apply it. So that's why Solomon, when he had anything, God would basically, I'm a genie, what do you want? (laughs) Um, God doesn't say that many times, but he said that to Solomon. What are you praying for? And he prayed for wisdom. It's powerful. So there's a difference between between wisdom and and knowledge, because knowledge will just inform our our head. But wisdom and and real knowledge and revelation will, will transform our heart. It will bring us into a deeper, deeper place. And so he goes on to say that the, the eyes of your heart would be enlightened or opened. And this idea of, of, um, of revelation is the Greek word apocalypsis. <laughs> apocalypsis, which means to be laid bare, like butt naked, if you will. That God would give us the, the complete naked version of the truth. And in this season where we don't know who to believe about what, the one person, and, and, and the one thing we can't, we can trust God. We can trust God and say, God, help me to see you clearly in this relationship, in this situation that's going on. Not, not as my emotions and my feelings or my past or what this friend is telling me. Help me to see you. Help me to trust you. Help me to know your wisdom, not just my knowledge and what I think this is supposed to go. Help me to know you Help me to be enlightened in that way. Help me to see, rev- that's revelation when it hits your heart. Uh, that, that's a game changer. So Paul's first prayer is to know him better. I pray that as, a, as your pastor, I pray that, that in this season we would come to know him better. That despite whatever we have going on outside of the political, political stuff, just in our real life, we still got real life stuff going on. I, I saw a great quote that um, said, you know, in the reality of things, 
Nobody's going to fix all this stuff. When it comes down to it, it's us living this out on a daily basis. That's really going to have the impact. We, after this election's over with, we got to go back to real life, right? We still got to go to our job. We still got to be a good neighbor. We st- there, there's so much, and we get caught up in kind of the, the hope of what's to come and this change that might be possible. But what we find our hope in is in the immovable truth of God the immovable truth of of who Jesus Christ is. And that's what he goes on to say. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The second thing is to know the hope, to know the hope. Um, Inheritance sounds pretty awesome, right? Throughout the scripture, uh, we, we find inheritance as this big topic, and we don't talk about inheritance anymore, probably because most of us ain't getting one. That's why we don't talk about it anymore. But in the Bible, in the Bible, they, uh, they talked about it a lot. I mean, think of Jacob and Esau, and think of Abraham with the inheritance, and look at the prodigal son. There's all this talk of inheritance because it was really woven into their life and into their future. And when God called Abraham said, I'm going to make this great nation out of you, and every nation will be blessed off of your life. He might as blessed be blessed because of you, Abraham, because you follow me when I tell you to leave your comfort zone, when I tell you to leave home and go to the land I'm going to show you, because you, you walk out and that begins, I've called you, and I've called you into relationship. So there wasn't all these rules and stuff in place. It was just, again, relationship. And he promises him not just physical blessing, that there'll be this great land flowing with milk and honey, but this spiritual blessing, this spiritual blessing that you'll know favor. And, and Abraham didn't see all that was promised, but he walked faithfully towards it all the days of his life. Not perfect, but he, he walked faithfully in it. And so God wants us to, to come and to know this hope. And, and, and we don't understand this idea because he connects it. It's very important that he connects it to the inheritance and I think we get caught up in the physical stuff a lot. And, and we start trusting in the 401k, and we start trusting in the job, and we start trusting in, in political le- leaders, and maybe even church leaders. And God's called us to trust in him and, and, and to know that hope, and nothing, nothing can replace that in your life. I remember traveling and being in Cambodia, and uh, it's like 98%, 97% Buddhist. And it's like a weird Buddhist. It's not even like the same Buddhist we would know. It's like a Buddhist mixed with kind of all this other stuff. Um, and I remember walking around, and 90% of Cambodia lives in a very rural um, environment. Like, like not rural as we know, like Middleburg or something, but like rural in the sense of no running water, like one of the places, a couple years before I got there, they just got electricity. This was like three years ago. They just got electricity. And it was off like 40 car batteries jacked up onto some solar panels. And it was like one house that had, that had power. So super rural. Um, so 90% of, of this enormous population lives like that and lives, the families live on about 40 American dollars a month. $40 a month. And... Uh, we were build, helping build houses there. You did that as a, as a body. We, we helped build a lot of houses there. And I remember looking, and, and, and we were kind of like, hey, what's, what's going on here? And they were kind of telling us a little more about this place. And 
the, the, the director of the organization says, you know how when you grew up, like you kind of dream, like dreamed of being a fireman or for me, an NBA basketball player? Yes, that's real. Yes, that was my real dream. Um, kind of grew up dreaming about something that you're going to be. So our kids don't do that. They don't dream to be anything. They don't have hope. He said, they just hope to survive. They don't think beyond that. They don't think beyond the very practical. And while we can feel very distant and very blessed in comparison financially to, to those people, sometimes spiritually we're not all that different. We're just fighting to survive. We're just, we're not, we're not really dreaming and, and hoping of the future. And, and I love how it's said in Hebrews 6.19, and we actually have this board right up in between the bathrooms. Many of you have seen it. Hebrews 6, 19 and 20 says this. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in, in the order of Melchizedek. So I could give you kind of a big background here, but let me just say this much. Whole entering the sanctuary is about God's Jesus entering in and doing what he did, tearing the curtain, entering into the place that we couldn't do. We weren't perfect. We were, we aren't, the law, if it did anything leading us up to Christ, it revealed that we cannot keep all the rules on our very best day. And so Jesus' grace steps in, goes to the cross for us, for relationship, for relationship. And hope is, is this anchor for our soul. It keeps, the anchor keeps the boat from drifting too far. And, and you may have heard about this hope. You've heard me say it. And, and I think for most of us, hope is kind of this mystical idea. And it's not the reality of what's in our heart. And there is a, there's light years of difference in this mystical idea of hope and the reality of hope within our soul that we live out and we walk in the hope of Jesus Christ. And Jim Wallace wrote a book years ago called God's Politics. It said this quote, hope unbelieved is always considered nonsense, but hope, but hope believed is history in the process of being changed. This organization in Cambodia they just want to inspire hope. They just want to, they have children's homes and all kinds of great things, and they just want to inspire hope. They just want some kids that will dream for their country beyond their physical needs. And they've lived that out. It wasn't there, and they've been faithful, and they've, they've seen so much fruit from it. And I wonder if for some of us, this idea of hoping that things are going to get better, politically or family-wise or relationally or financially, so it might just be kind of looked at as nonsense, but we wouldn't believe it. Like there is, something's being shaped. History's being shaped. The history of, of what your family will look like for our kids as we've kind of fought that battle of, hey, we're hoping, like we're pressing through, like our family's gonna look different. Our relationship's gonna look different. As we press through those things, the history for my kids, or the future for my kids changes. Like those battles are worthy to be fought. And hope is more than this mystical idea. It's reality as a child of God. There should be no hopeless children of God. 
and sadly because of the, the struggle of life and reality and the physical needs that we just need met. We lose that. We lose that. I've told this several times, not too long ago, I think, but it's a story of these, many of you will remember this, of this test of rats, mice, lab rats. And they had like kind of an identical test, and there was like a little Petri dish that these little mice would live in. I don't know if it was one or two, but they just had a little bit of water. Both had the exact same amount of water, same type, exact same room, and they tested it. And in one, it was complete darkness, and with the second one, there was just a little bit of glimmer of light beaming into the room. And, 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 there ha- and the mice that had the, uh, the, the beam of light lived like twice as long as the, as the, the, the other mouse without any, without any light there, without any hope. That don't, don't mistake the power of this hope in our life to continue to hang on and press on. But it's in <clears throat> the glorious inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ, not in the tangible, maybe things of today. <clears throat> and thirdly, that we may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. His great power for us who believe. Most of us can, can grab a hold of that we would know his great power. We can grab a hold of that idea that God, omnipotent, you know, put the stars in their place, and we're kind of la-di-da about that sometimes. But we can kind of get this idea. God's sovereign, powerful, but that second part of that line, we, we can't grab. His incomparably great power for us who believe. His power is not just reserved um, to, to him in his glorious throne. It's for us in this earthen vessel. I love how 2 Corinthians chapters 3 through 5 talks about us, that, that we're just kind of jars of clay, and he fills it up with his glory and his power. And I think we often forsake and forget this very, very, very important of this, this line here, that his great power is for us. I have been out of the gym most of this year. Confession time. I've started and stopped about a dozen times. One to cancel my membership, but it's only 10 bucks a month, so I'm like, I'll just hang in there because I'm going to get back in there. And one thing that has happened is when I'm not in the gym, I'm super weak. <laughs> super weak. Um, I can get by with life, but then I realize at some point when Taryn's like, hey, let's move that bookshelf over here, or let's move that chair over here, um, I realize, man, I'm getting weak over here. And so many of us as children of God are very, very weak. We're very, very weak. We don't have hope. We just have head knowledge sometimes and not the heart knowledge. And we're not walking in the power of God that we have access to. This incomparably great power is the same power that raised Jesus up Um, from the dead. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ. It's like that. It's that same way. Which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above 
um, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. Let me keep going. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Christ is the head, we're the body, and we are the fullness. Did you catch that? And which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. He fills everything, and he fills us with his great power, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And we walk around so weak. And I, I think we could immediately say, oh, well, I just haven't been in the gym. Or I've been kind of start and stop with the gym or reading the word or prayer or being with body of believers and fellowship. Maybe it's any of those things. I think we could kind of push off to that. But I think first, it's a recognition, not within our head, but within our heart that that we need the power of God on a daily basis. And we have access to the power of God on a daily basis in our, in our own lives. And I, I don't know maybe what situation you're up against, and this is kind of veering off our whole political thing for a minute, and we'll come back to it. But maybe there's some real things, like some real struggles, some sin that you are enslaved to. A relationship that the hope is gone. A dead-end career. I mean, you, you, whatever you, you name it. And we can just find ourselves weakened by our situations. But a church that's, that's not walking in the power of God is really not a reflection of the fullness of God. So we need the power. Of, we need to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is present to, to lead us into all truth in the scriptures about Jesus Christ. We pray, I pray with the Holy Spirit. The, the, the Spirit of God is also here to comfort us. He's a paraclete who comes alongside us, right? When we're going through the, lo- the loss that we could not imagine whatever happened to us. It's the Holy Spirit who comforts us. It's not just hands on shoulders. It's, it's God intimately with us in that time. The Holy Spirit also enables us and empowers us for the mission of God. To be this, the, the body of Christ. Because some of us, we, we've just got some flimsy arms and some flimsy legs. And I just, I, I just kind of dream as a pastor what it would look like if the body of Christ began to get empowered again. And where it, it wasn't just about the speaker on the stage and the music happening and the environment, and the culture, but it it was about us being filled with the Spirit to walk out in the great commission that he's called us to. I I just begin to dream about what that would look like if each one of us just got a hold of that he loves us, and he chose us to, to know him better, and to walk in intimacy, and we know in part now, and one day we'll know fully, even as we're fully known. But I just dream of what that would look like for us to walk in his power. It actually tells us this just in verse 14, just a little bit. I don't think they have this on the slide. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. Having believed, you were marked 
in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is a deposit. Deposit guaranteeing our inheritance to come. And so for those of you that have felt distanced from God or maybe weakened by circumstance, I I want you to know that he's called you into a relationship. And he doesn't want to leave you without hope. And he doesn't, in, in this cycle, politically and personally, the season you're in. But to walk in the fullness of his power. And I just truly believe that that's going to shape, it's going to transform us in ways that, that we thought were not possible. Because on our own, it's not. But in his great power, it is. And so for, for someone, maybe this is an opportunity, just like the situation in Cambodia, just to dream again and to hope again for the future. To know that God's not done with you. It's also today for the person who feels distanced by the junk going on in their life, in this whole world. And just know that he's wanting to draw you closer. Also for the person that's fighting through the battle and just feels weakened by the journey. that His his spirit can come and fill you today to walk in his great power. Because we're the fullness of his body and a weak body is not the body of Christ a weak body is not the body of Christ we come to know truly who he is and we can walk in that power for each one of us I've tried to do it way too much in fact just kind of dial it back a few years and I've confessed this many times, I am a recovering workaholic. Recovering workaholic. Um, it, would have, it would have killed my family at some point. Thankfully, God really rescued me um, at a time when uh, we, our kids, we were just beginning to build our family with kids. And I think if I was still kind of doing that, it would have killed our marriage. It probably would have killed um, my family. And, and, and I didn't realize kind of what was going on beneath this. I was just really proud to go accomplish a lot of things for God. Lots of zeal. That's kind of what was on the outside. And man, he's such a hard worker. He really loves God. He's really working for God. And it took me years. But on the back side of that, as God began to prune some things out of me, what was really going on is I was really prideful. I really thought I could accomplish all these great things for God. I really thought I could overcome all circumstances. And I thought I had wisdom for all these different leadership and organizational things. It was, it was me. I had this all figured out. I was, I was bearing the great weight of the world. And the reason I bring that story up is as I was trying to bear the weight of the world, I, I think a scripture like this, that God's placed everything under his feet. And he's the head. I'm the body. Don't, don't forget your role in this thing. Don't forget your role in this thing. And I think as we do and as we step into that, it brings us into great freedom. And so I want to ask you to stand with me today. And these, uh, 
these guys are going to come lead us, and Taryn's going to come invite us to the table. Uh, and when she does, um, I, I, want you, I want you to respond to what God's speaking into your heart today. When we come to the table, the crosses are open, the altars are open to pray. It's not just a time to come get some bread and hold you over to lunch. It's an opportunity to encounter God and to respond to what he's doing and what he's speaking into your life. So I want you to respond. He's calling you to lean in in this time and know him better. Lean in. He's calling you to come and encounter his power and walk in the power that he he gives us. Walk in that. Open your hearts. Receive it. Let's pray together today. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for these people, God. I, I believe you called us out for a purpose. God, and some of us feel overwhelmed by the things to come. Maybe the things even in the past are present. But God, I, I pray in this moment that we would encounter you and we would see your face fresh and anew. We would know you more and more every day, God. God, for the person that comes in here weakened by this struggle, I, I pray that they would just find great strength in your power. God, I pray like Ephesus that we would not be known that we lost and forgot our first love. I pray for those in the house that have forgotten and lost their first love. I, I pray that we would come running running back to your feet, running back to your feet today, God. Because you've called us into your hope and your freedom. In Jesus' holy name, transform us today, God, as we encounter you. In Christ's name, amen.